So how you doing this morning? Yeah. Go ahead and tell somebody, good morning. good morning. Now go ahead and turn to somebody you don't know and say, good morning. Good morning. Okay, a little high five, a little love. I am so excited that you are here this morning. Everybody good? good. Awesome, awesome. So today we are touching, uh, we're picking up where we left off over the last several weeks. We've been on, well, not several weeks, since last week, we've been on a series entitled Love Does. Love Does. Let me ask you all a question this morning. Have you ever thought about the impact of love in your life? You ever thought about what love does in your life? Uh, the truth is this, that love is so much more than our feelings. How many of you know that? Love is so much more than our feelings. Love is so much more than our emotional uh, fluctuations between up and down. You do know that, right? Love is so much more than anything that we've ever experienced based upon uh, what we've known with people. And so today we're picking up where we left off and we are looking at what love does. So listen, last week we started off by looking at love and what we realized was this, is that love um, is not uh, something that we feel. It's someone that we know. Love is not a feeling. Love is not an emotion. Love is a person. It's a person. You do know that, right? And so 1 John chapter 4 verses 7 and 8 says this. It says, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not know love does not know God. For God is love. God is love. And so today we have the opportunity to dig into God's word. And what we're going to do is this. We are going to actually consider what love says. What the person of love says. And so uh, with that being said, I want you to think about this from a very simple perspective. Where love is, God is. Think about that. Where love is, God is. And as a result of that, we can rightly conclude that where God is, love works. Love heals, love builds, love transforms, love unites. I don't know about you, but that's the kind of love that I want working in my life. Now, I understand that each and every one of us has our own interpretation of love. We have our own experience of love. But today we're going to listen to what love says. And today I'd like to talk to you on the subject of love and start with our main point, our main idea. And here's basically what it is, is that love is a matter of choice. Love is a matter of choice. We've all bought into the, the, the idea, the concept at some point that we fall in love. Anybody ever fell in love? Let me ask you a question. Did you scrape your knees along the way? How'd that work? right? We fall in love, right? We've all uh, bought into that mindset that says we have to uh, feel loving towards someone, right? Like, I feel loving towards you. Well, how does that work when your kids are acting anything but loving and you are at your last nerve and you are just saying, I, I love you, but get away from me, right? <laughs> how many of you know that love is not a feeling, right? Or how about this one? How about this one? I have to grow to love you, right? How does that work? How does that actually work out in our lives? Did you just one day 
fall head over heels for someone without any information, without any idea of who they are or, 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 what, or, or insight into them? Did you grow to love your children gradually? Let me ask you that. When your child was born, did you go, I don't know about this kid, but uh, <laughs> I, I, you know, we'll, I'll see how much I love him along the way. No, no. My, my son and my uh, daughter-in-law are expecting their first child in September of this year. And uh, I got to tell you something. Um, I don't know what this child looks like yet. I don't know what this child's temperament is going to be. But I will tell you this. I am head over heels in love for this child. But I'll tell you this. It's a choice. It's a choice. Well, how about this one? Did you one day get goosebumps or have an emotional epiphany? where you had this overwhelming feeling that you were waiting for in order to love your BFF, right? Is that how it works? I dare say this, that the answer to any one of those questions is a big fat no. It just, that, that's not how love works. And so today I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And I just want to clarify something. Look, whether you believe in God or you don't believe in God, whether you've, whatever your experience with love has been, my job here today is not to give you my personal opinion. I'm not here to give you my perspective. I want you to simply be open-minded and open-hearted to see what God says about his love and how love really works. Because love is a person, but love is a person that does something in our lives. And so starting at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, starting at verse 1, it says this, If I speak in tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can only fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast that do not have love, I gain nothing. I profit nothing. Now, I want you to consider something about this. That you might not know this, but the book of First and Second Corinthians was inspired by God through a man named Paul. And this guy, Paul, wrote these letters that we call the book of First and Second Corinthians to a people who had no understanding or concept of what love was. In their society, love was something foreign. Love was not why you married. It was prearranged. Love was not what you sought in your spouse. When it came to intimate times between a husband and a wife, it was simply for one purpose, to procreate children. That's what it was for. Anything outside of that was done with pagan priests and priestesses. So their mindset of love, their understanding of love was a foreign one. And so now they come to know Jesus. And they have questions. How does this work? What does it mean that God loves us? How do we love each other? How, how is this supposed to work in a marriage? And, and so the book of First and Second Corinthians, Paul is addressing and correcting a lot of misconceptions, and one of them being love. And so with that understanding, I want you to see something here. Because Paul is writing to a people who have questions about love, but these are people that have grown in the ways of the gathering of believers in the church. And so watch what he says. He addresses believers and he says, I get that you understand speaking in the tongues of angels. He says, I get that you have, that there's a gift of prophecy among you. 
He says, I get that you guys have this giant faith that can move mountains. You believe the words of Jesus, and you should. I get that you have this knowledge and that you, you're taking a grasp of all these mysteries. I get that, you, that, that, that you, you possess all these things, but that you give it to the poor and that you're willing to cut off your own arm and sacrifice your own life for the benefit of another. He says, but if you have not love, you have nothing. You know what this reveals to us? That it's very possible to look like a Christian, talk like a Christian, act like a Christian, relate like a Christian, and not have love. Not have love. It is completely possible to give off the appearance to everyone that we love, that we love God, that we love people, and not have it. See, without love, according to the verses that we just read here, we're nothing. Without love, we have nothing. Without love, we profit nothing. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever taken a piece of money and put it somewhere for the purposes of it reproducing in some capacity? Right? It can be in a bank right, where you get a certain percentage back. It can be in a business where you take a certain amount and what you expect as you invest it is to get more. Get this concept. The scriptures say that without love, we gain nothing. There is no profit. So watch this. In every area of our lives, if we do not have an understanding of love, and that love, God's love, is not operating in our lives and through our lives, we get nothing in return. I didn't say that. Scripture says that. And so... Without God, there is no love. And without love, nothing works. Nothing works. Love is the key. And so listen to verses 4 through 7. It says, love is patient. Somebody say, "Uh uh-oh. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. See, love has nothing to do with feelings. Love has nothing to do with emotions. It doesn't just happen. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Isn't it true that it takes patience? It takes a choice to be patient and kind? Isn't that true? Isn't it true that it's a choice to not hold the record of wrongdoing when you've been wronged again? Isn't it true that it takes a choice not to be selfish when what you're stuck in is in your own feelings, your own emotions, what you want, and it's my way or the highway? Isn't it true that it takes a choice to get past you and prefer someone else? It's a choice. 
It's a choice. It's a choice to protect. It's a choice to trust. It's a choice to push through with perseverance. It's a choice not to give up on that child when everything they do and everything they say and how they act and what they show you says differently. It's a choice when you're having trouble in a marriage and you're struggling to stay together and you're at odds and you've drawn your lines and you're saying, I'm fighting the right fight, but it's leading to all the wrong places. It's a choice to love. It's not a feeling. Not a feeling. Listen, when you're at odds at home and have completely drawn your battle lines because of helpful, hurtful words, you don't wait to feel forgiving. What does that feel like? Right? You, no, it's a choice to look past the hurt and to question, where did we go wrong with this communication? What part am I playing in this matter? That's a choice. When your teenage son is deviating from everything you've ever taught him and has broken your trust and you're at the breaking point of giving up, you don't wait for patience and kindness and perseverance to happen. No, you make a choice to be patient. You make a choice to extend kindness. You make a choice to push through and not give up. So we're talking about love and what love does. And we've already defined that love is a person. And so I want us to look real quick in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 2 and 3, at the person of love. This might be a familiar passage of scripture to some of you because we just touched on it in our last series. But Hebrews 12, starting at verse 2, says, we fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And then it goes on to say this. Consider him. I want to pause right there for a moment and we could just put up verse 2 again. I want you to see what the scripture tells us. It says, fix your eyes, fix your attention, fix the direction, the orientation of your heart, of your life upon Jesus. It says because he's the pioneer. He did it. He blazed that trail. Right? He's the pioneer and he's the perfecter of our faith. And then it goes on to say this. It tells us what love does. It says that there was a joy that was set before him as he endured the cross. As he endured the cross. So get this picture. Jesus goes on the cross and watch what happens. Men, people that once knew him, that followed him, people that had seen him do great things, they say, hey, if you're really the son of God, if you're the promised one, you who healed people, who raised the dead, why don't you come down from that cross and prove to us that you're the, the son of God and we'll believe. And you know what love chose? Love chose to remain on that cross for you and me. Love chose not to give up. Love chose to complete what he started. Notice what the scripture says. It says that he scorned its shame. You know what the scripture's literally just saying there? It's saying that when he was on the cross, he was unmoved by what people were saying, people were doing, and the ridicule that he was taking on. He wasn't moved by the guilt that he assumed, the sin that he became that was you and me. The scripture says that he scorned that shame. It was nothing to him, but watch why. Verse 3 says, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners. Watch what happens when we follow the example of love so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. If we're to choose to love, we must consider the choice that love made 
for us. He endured. He stayed the course. Jesus made the choice to love all humanity when humanity chose to reject his love and could not love him in return. Now, I'm pretty sure I heard this. I heard someone say, yeah, but that was Jesus. That's Jesus. That's God. I can't do that. Hmm. Let me propose to you something. That maybe the reason, maybe you're struggling with this because what we do is we worry about all the times that we've made the choice to love and it's blown up in our face. Maybe what we're concerned about is all the times that we chose to love, to forgive, to endure, to persevere, to press through, to uplift, and it blew up in our face. But the thing about it is this. In 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8 through 10, watch what God says through this man, Paul. It says, love never fails. Go and say that with me. Love never fails. Say that again. Love never fails. You know what's interesting about that word never there in the Greek, in the original language? You, you, you want to know what it means? This is, this is like a deep one. It really means never. It means never, ever, never, 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 ever, never, 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 never fails. That word never is emphatic. Never. Love never fails. You know why love never fails? Because God never fails. God never fails. So it says love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. You know what the truth is? That love doesn't fail us. People fail us. People fail us. Now, I'm going to read this word for word from my notes because I don't want to mess this up. I want you to consider this statement. Too often, we choose to love for the wrong reason. We choose to love for the sake of what we get from people instead of what we get from God. I'm going to read that again. Too often, we choose to love for the wrong reason. We choose to love for the sake of what we get from people instead of what we get from God. Listen closely. If you're seeking love in a person, if you're seeking love in your children, if you're seeking love, the experience of love in your wife, if you're seeking love in friends, if you're seeking love in human beings, guess what? Your wife will fail you. Your husband will fail you. Your children will fail you. People will fail you. Your pastor will fail you. But God never fails. And so what we have to understand is this, that love doesn't come from people. We're vehicles for love. We're vehicles, we're channels by which love flows through and works through. But the person of love, God who is love, we should be seeking God, not people for love. It's a big difference. Big, big difference. See, the reason why love never fails is because it does not fail to complete what it started in you when you embrace it. 
And so watch this. In verse 11 of 1 Corinthians 13, God speaking through this man, Paul says this. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. Now, let's, let's back up for a moment and widen the scope here. From verses 1 through 10, he's talking about love. And then all of a sudden, it seems like he takes a left turn. When I was a child, I thought like a child, I acted like a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things, right? And it's like, wait, where, where did that come from? What is that about? I want you to see that the context of what Paul is speaking here, what God is revealing through this man is this. It's about love. And here's the thing that Paul reveals about the power of love in our lives. That love is maturity. Love causes us to mature. And that maturity begins with a choice to shift from a childish view of love that is based on feeling, selfish desire, motives that are about ourselves, and when we shift from those motives and we adopt God's kind of love, it happens through a choice. A choice. A choice. The book of Philippians reveals that Jesus did not consider it robbery to give up his throne and come down and become a man. But you know what it's showing us there? That he made a choice. He made a choice. I tell you, this will set you free if you understand how love really works. What love really does. And so for the next couple of moments that I have here, we're going to look in our Bibles to Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. And as we turn there, I want you to see some things about God's love. The scriptures reveal to us that this man comes to Jesus, and this guy is an expert. He's an expert. How many of you know that experts may have a level of expertise based upon what they know, but the experts can be wrong? You do know that, right? So let's, let's, let's consider this interaction that Jesus has with this man. Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 25, says this, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. This is a religious man. This is a man who understands religion. He's the epitome to people of what it means to be a servant of God, to minister to God, to love God, to look like someone who's got it all together with God. And this guy says, he comes to Jesus as an expert, and he says, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You know what he's saying? How does this whole faith thing work? How do I live according to the kingdom of God in my life? And Jesus responded to him, What's written in the law? How do you read it? How do you understand it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. 
Watch Jesus' reply. You've answered correctly. Then he goes on to say to him, do this and you will live. In other words, if you just do this, you'll inherit the kingdom. You'll you'll see how the kingdom works in your life, through your life. Watch verse 29. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who's my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said to him, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. And a priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, that's simply just a person of religious stature, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. And he said, look after him. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Listen to the words of Jesus. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers. You know what Jesus is asking? Which one of these three men in this story understood how love works? Listen to his response. The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So let's break this down. Jesus finds himself confronted with an expert. This guy knows religious law up and down, back and forth, everything in between. And so he comes with one intent, to discredit Jesus. The scriptures tell us that he comes to test him. And he says, hey, how do I do this whole life in the kingdom thing? And Jesus says to him, well, you know the law. How do you read it? And he rightly responds, hey, love God with everything. And love your neighbor. Love people around you. And, but 29 is important because it tells us what his true understanding of love was. It says that his motive was to justify himself. You know what it's revealing to us there? That in other words, he was resolved to point Jesus to his understanding of love. Let me teach you about love, Jesus. Let me tell you how this is supposed to work. See, to the religious people of the day, such as this man, love for God was revealed by your service to God. It was about you adhering to how much you gave, how you looked, your adherence to religious laws, right? And these were all things that were imposed by men. You know what Jesus said about these people, like this man? He said, you're like whitewashed tombs. Man, you look beautiful on the outside, but inside you're full of dead bones. And so these people understood love as one that was earned, not received from God. And and so in response, Jesus responds with a story. It's a parable. 
And his intent in sharing this story is to bear out the truth in a most practical way about what love does, what love is, and how it works. And so in this story, Jesus uses a road that this man would have understood what he was referring to. It was a road from Jerusalem to Jericho. And what you might not know about this place, Jericho, in the days of Jesus is, is that it was a town that was frequented by religious people. Why? Because that's where the Levitical priesthood primarily stood. That's where they lived. And so it's very possible that this man who was attacked, overtaken, beaten, half to death, and robbed was a Jew himself. He was probably a priest. We don't know that for sure, but the implication is there. And so notice who comes by first on the same road. This guy's beaten, he's left for dead, and the person that comes through is a priest. And this priest is someone who was familiar with the same understanding that this guy has. Love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Do unto them as you would have them do unto you. And this guy walks by and he sees this guy laying on the floor, beaten half to death, and he goes, ooh, it stinketh. Some of you got that. He goes, I'm not touching him. As a matter of fact, according to religious Jewish law, you were not to touch a dead person because if you did, you were considered unclean. You were defiled. And so this guy sees this Jewish man laying on the floor and he goes, he's got a couple of breaths left in him, but he's going to die. Let me keep it moving. And so he continues on on his journey. And notice who the second person is that comes by. A Levite. Levites were, were same thing like a priest. These were people that served in the temple they took the offerings, they prepared the sacrifices, they presented them, they gave the priests everything that he needed. So these were people that the Jewish nation of that time understood to be people that they could look to, supposedly, to follow after God, to learn about. And this Levitical, this, this Levite is walking by and he goes, Ay, santo. Some of you didn't get that. I, I'll translate that. Oh, my God. Oh, ooh. Just the, the, the religious Spanish verse, Santo, Señor reprenda. That just means Lord rebuke you, right? The Lord rebuke you. And so this guy comes by, he goes, Uy, uy, uy. And he walks around the guy and he keeps walking. And then Jesus does something very interesting in this story. He inserts the most unlikely person in this story, a person known as a Samaritan. Now, that might not mean much to you at face value, <laughs> excuse me, but let me tell you why this is an important point. Because Samaritans were people that Jews referred to as dogs. They were people born of a different line from the line of, of Abraham through an illegitimate son. These were people that believed in God, but they believed that they, you were supposed to worship on another mountain. And there, there was a, a certain prescribed way that you were supposed to seek God and serve God, and the Jews disagreed with that, and so they said, you guys are dogs. You're illegitimate, you're pagans, 
We want nothing to do. So these people were in direct conflict with one another. They hated each other. And Jesus uses a Samaritan to illustrate how love works. Himself a Jew, he inserts the very person that he knows is against him to illustrate love. I'll tell you why that's important. Because what's most powerful about this story is that it illustrates to us that anyone, regardless of your qualifications or condition, is a tool that God can use for his love to work in your life. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. So, as I said, notice who passes by, the priest and the Levite. These were people in the business of serving God, teaching people how to follow God, an example to all. And yet, they pass by. But notice notice who stops in this story. You and me. How'd you get that, Pastor Jose? How'd you get that that's me stopping in the story? You know what the scriptures say? The scriptures say that we were enmity. We were at enmity with God. The scriptures declare that you and I were darkness, that he translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the son of his love. The scripture says that we were once darkness and that he made us light. The scripture says that while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so check this out. The Samaritan is you and me. And here's what God says to you and me. You're capable of operating in my love. Listen, you can have a new experience with God's love. You know what else blows me away about this story? We we agree that God is love, right? We agree with that. And so get this. Jesus is illustrating love in action. He's portraying his love. And you know what blows me away about this? That not only does he use a Samaritan to tell us of our ability to love, but he portrays himself as the very Samaritan. I'm going to tell you why. Because it was love that saw a man down and said, let me pick you up, let me bind you up, let me heal you up, let me restore you, let me pay the price for you, let me help you, let me show you what life is. And let me, let me not just pay for your sin, but let me pay above and beyond because tomorrow you'll drop the ball. And guess what? Even when you drop the ball, it's already paid for. That's a good and loving God. That's what love does for you and I. And so what do we learn here? We learn a couple of things as we're wrapping up here. We learn that love chooses to see the truth of the matter. Listen, to the naked eye, the truth was that this hurt man was an enemy of the Samaritan. Listen, the Samaritan is walking by this guy laying down. This is a person who's cursed him, who's rejected him, who's referred to him as a dog, who's turned his back on him. And he walks by this person. And what does he do? He loves him. This Samaritan loves him. See, according to Jesus, the real truth about love is that it makes a choice to love regardless of if it's received in return. 
That's love, ladies and gentlemen. See, if, if, <coughs> if you're loving your neighbor, but in loving them, what you're seeking is for them to love you in return, that's not love. According to the scripture, that's not love. It's not. Because it has conditions. Can you imagine where we would be today if Jesus was on the cross and as they're about to nail him to that cross, he goes, hold on a second, guys. We're going to do this. I'm going to do this for you. But here's a laundry list of my expectations from you. Here's what you got to do in order for me to do this for you. You know where, you know where, we'd be, where we'd, we would all be? Hell. <laughs> no. The scripture says that Jesus counted it all joy when he went to the cross. Died the death of a sinner that we might live the life of a saint. That we might be healed and restored and declared righteous and holy. That we might walk in confidence with God and know that there's nothing that separates us from him. No height, no depth, no width, no length. Nothing can separate us from him. See, the truth about love is that it's truly unconditional. So let's not put conditions on our love towards people. Let's not put conditions on our love for those that hurt us. Love chooses to heal in the very places that hurt most. I'm going to say that again. Love chooses to heal in the very places that hurt most. This Samaritan didn't see a dead man like the other people before him. This Samaritan didn't see a hopeless and helpless person. This Samaritan did not see an end to what was happening. No, instead, he saw the opportunity to raise a dead man back to life. He saw the opportunity to heal the hurting. He saw the opportunity to redeem and restore the broken. Listen, that's the love of God. That's the love at work in your life. That's the love available to you and I. That's the love that we're called to love with. It's a love that trumps the hurt that you've experienced with your parents. Oh, trust me, I get that. I understand it. This, this was my understanding of love. I love you. And I also understand what it is to be in that place called the church where they told you that God loves you, but somehow you always felt leaving like, feeling like a nail, and God was the hammer. And somewhere in between there, they stuck in there, yeah, but God loves you. That's not love. That's not God. But you see, love chooses to heal in the very places that hurt most. This man saw the opportunity to give healing where everybody else saw the opportunity to continue moving on from what hurt. I don't know your story. I don't know what you believe about God. But I will say this. I know this, that each and every one of us knows what it is to hurt at some point in our lives. To have someone that loved you or said they loved you 
or even really did love you, but they failed you. We've all been there. We all know that. We've all experienced that. But you see, the truth about love is that it heals. It goes to the very places that hurt most. And so where we understand love to be one where we withdraw when somebody takes their love from us, when somebody hurts us in the process, God's love goes there, stays there, heals there, builds there, leads there, reveals truth there. Now I get it. I get it. Some people... They can't receive that love from you. It's foreign to them. You know, it's okay to respect their choice and say, while you're rejecting the love that I give you, love says, I'll continue to pray for you. While you continue to push me away, love says, it's okay. I, I know you're hurting, but you know what? I'm still here. Where love, where, where, where people will tell you, Man, just, just get away from me. Leave me alone. Love says, I, I respect your decision, but I'm not giving up on you. I still believe that God is the one who does exceedingly, abundantly, above and beyond whatever I could ask or think. I still believe that God can bring you through. I still believe that you're strong. I still believe that God's good purposes are to give you a hope and a future, to heal your life, to strengthen you, to carry you through, to show you better things. See, love, it never hurts. So let's not withhold its power from the people around us. What about me, man? Yeah, yeah, I get it. God loves me, but I, I've heard that a thousand times. But why am I in this situation? Why am I going through what I'm going through? Why am I struggling with what I'm struggling with? Can we be very honest with ourselves? Many of the results that we endure are the results of choices we've made or unfortunately choices that others have made. But the choice that God makes is this. There's nothing that you've gone through that I can't bring you back from. I'm the God who restores what the locust has eaten. I'm the God that redeems you, that gives you new life, that shows you a new way. I'm the God that says, old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become brand new. There's a new story. There's a new day. You can rejoice again. You can live again. You can heal again. You can forgive again. You can rise again. See, love chooses to reach beyond the expected. Listen, in our world today, you'd be applauded for doing the bare minimum. You picked the guy up and you took him to the hospital. You'd make the news for that. But you see, that's not love at all. The truth about love is that it goes beyond what is expected. Matthew 5, verses 43 through 48, Jesus speaking here, says this, You've heard that it was said, 
love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and on the good. And sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are, are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet your own, only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Watch what he says in verse 48. Be perfect, therefore. Let me stop right there. I just heard somebody say, yeah, that, that's not me. He's not talking to me there. I've got my imperfections. I, I, I don't qualify for that. No, 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 no. Understand what he's talking about. He's talking about love. And what he's talking about is a complete love. A mature love. A love that operates in our lives. And so here's what Jesus says. Be perfected in this love. He says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Listen, true love extends mercy. It binds up wounds. It sacrifices for the benefit of others. It never stops loving. This Samaritan not only bound up this man's wounds and took him to a safe haven. No, he carried him as he was hurting and paid the price for his healing. It's the same love that's available to all of us from God and works through us by God. Stand with me today. Jesus tells this religious man at the end of this discourse in verse 37. Listen, this guy has an encounter for the very first time in his life with love. With love. For the very first time, he sees that God's love is a love that is truly without condition. That it's love without prerequisites. That it's love that pays the way even before you can endure a, a price that's necessary to be paid. You know what the biggest lie is in this world? One of the biggest lies about God? That you have to clean yourself up and get your act together for God to love you and forgive you. No, 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 no. You know what the truth is? That God loved you and I when we had no love for him and understood and did not understand what love is. He accepted us before we ever even thought about accepting his power and his love for us. And so the good news in that is this, that Jesus is talking to this man who has no concept of love and for the very first time encounters love. And he says this to him in verse 37. Now you go. And do likewise. Listen, what we've seen here today from God's word is what love does in our lives and how love works through our lives. With every eye closed and every head bowed here, I want you to just take a moment for reflection. And I want you to consider this. Who is love in your life? 
Is it the people that have failed you? Is it the letdowns that you've had? Is it the shortcomings that you have? Are you judging love incorrectly? Let me take that a step further. Are you judging your self-worth incorrectly? God loves you. God heals you. God forgives you. God restores you. But you don't understand my story, Pastor. You don't understand the mess that I'm in. You don't understand how bad it's gotten. Love does. And love works. And love can heal you. And love can bring you back. And love can raise you upon a rock. A high rock. And display his goodness in your life and through your life. I'm telling you, you're not done yet. I'm telling you, you're not out. Because love is at work today in your heart and in your life. If there's anyone here today and for the very first time you're hearing about God's love and you just never understood God's love this way. You've never believed that love is at work towards you to this magnitude. But today for the very first time you believe that. You say, man, that's the love that I need and that's the love that I want. Here's the first choice according to love. It's not what you do for God. It's what you now take from God and you get from God, his love. If you believe that for the very first time in your life, I want to encourage you to join us as we pray with you. This simple prayer of faith, it's just you giving voice to your belief. It's you saying, God, I'm choosing you. I choose love. Congregation, let's pray this together with them. Join us in this prayer. Say, Jesus, I believe. Jesus, I believe. You love me. I believe that you died and you rose again. I believe that you paid the price for me. Today I declare that you're my Lord and Savior. You're my God. And from this day forward, I know you love me. And I love you. And I ask you to lead me and show me your better way. Hey, if you prayed that for the very first time, we celebrate what God is doing in your life. Come on now, let's celebrate Jesus. Don't leave here without letting us know the decision you've made. We want to walk alongside you. We celebrate what God is doing. Now, Lord, we leave here rejoicing in Jesus, thanking you for your love, choosing to love with your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next Sunday.